Welcome to Camp Constitutional Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's also picked up on Podomatic and Amazon and a number of other uh, iHeart and a number of other platforms. It's brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And next year's camp coming up July 14th to the 19th. And we just got word that we're going to have a special guest by the name of Tucker Carlson. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, um, we have a, it was about a few weeks ago, I was watching Greg Kelly's show on Newsmax. And I heard about this incredible documentary called The Fall of Minneapolis. And I watched it and I thought, my, this is really a powerful documentary that should exonerate those four policemen that that I think were railroaded. And I believe that from day one. Um, So the lady who produced it, Liz Collin, is on. And so, Liz, I want to first I want to thank you and your team, your group at Alpha News for doing takes a lot of courage to do this. So first off, tell us a little about yourself and then Alpha News, and then we can talk about this incredible documentary. I appreciate the kind words, Hal. Thank you very much for ha- having me on. I'm a, I'm a Minnesota native myself, uh, joining you from the Minneapolis area today. Um, I was a member of the mainstream media for nearly 20 years, uh, working at the CBS station uh, in, in Minneapolis when this all happened on May 25th, 2020. I'd been there for about a dozen years at that point, um, was a, a longtime anchor and reporter, um, but I was uh, also married to the the union president, still am. Mm-hmm. He's now uh, retired from the Minneapolis Police Department. But um, so obviously I had, you know, kind of a, a window into this that w- that was unique. But but more so, you know, being kind of a lifelong journalist uh, as this all unfolded, I was so bothered um, by this uh, divisive, the divisiveness that, that the press seemed just fine to to peddle. Uh, when the facts were not there in in this case um, from the very beginning, and nobody seemed to want to speak up and and speak the truth. So through the the course of um, the book that I put out uh, called They're Lying, The Media, the Left, and the Death of George Floyd, I obviously had to leave uh, the mainstream media Mm, to be able to to speak the truth, which is really quite frightening, uh, if if you think about it. Um, And then uh, I think that the book kind of gave some some more people some courage uh, to come forward and, and they were willing to, to share their stories uh, on camera. And that's what uh, you saw in the film, The Fall of Minneapolis, sort of giving a voice to people who hadn't spoke out uh, b- before. And we wanted to offer that 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 uh, film for free. So as many people, uh, you know, that you know could possibly see it uh, w- would do so. What's interesting is while this was happening, well, in the wake of the uh, people saw a video, it it wasn't that highly res- high resolution. So it was really tough to get it but i would say even if uh derek chauvin was uh that he was responsible there was no racist motivation whatsoever there was no evidence that he had a racist background i mean minneapolis is not exactly uh you know the deep south 1960s it's a very liberal i've been there a number of times very liberal city so i don't think he'd last very long but uh it was just really sickening it was like they were looking for like a perfect storm the left wanted to have something then riots broke out all these and people showed their true colors they really did when the country needed them they went they went the other way they were you know spitting on the flag they were uh aiding and abetting the rioters and then black lives matter they were donating and i mean every email i was getting from all these different corporations oh we're so sorry 
And I thought, all you have to do is look at their Black Lives Matter website. You see their, their background. They're not really hiding that they're Marxists, that they want to destroy the Western construct of the family. Why would anybody support that? And on and on it goes. And then you look at the character of, um, of um, George Floyd. So let me just, um, in the video, you interview the mom, uh, Derek's mom, Derek himself from prison, some of the other prisoners, and many others. So just talk about some of the people uh, that you interviewed. And I think most important is, too, uh, one is the autopsy to talk about, and two, the particular hold, which we were told that was illegal, but just the opposite, that it was was legal and it was used uh, quite often by, they were trained to use this hold. Yeah, absolutely. I say that, you know, really the lying began um, kind of lies by omission. There is a reason that this is the very first time that uh, the Minneapolis Police Department decides to withhold the body camera footage in any sort of critical incident such as this that had never happened before. Instead, the public is only allowed to see that viral Facebook video that, of course, everyone uh, found so troubling. Um, but there was so much more to this story, including this 18-minute interaction that takes place with George Floyd that, that day. Uh, he is talking about how he can't breathe before Derek Chauvin arrives on scene. The officers are actually, uh, you know, very nice to him, trying to accommodate um, as this, you know, whole interaction really drags on a lot longer than than some other uh, police officers perhaps would have would have let it. But you had two rookie police officers uh, on the scene. Um, Thomas Lane is on his fourth day off of his field training. Alex King um, off of his third day. But they're asking, "What are you on? What did you take?" George Floyd, you know, again says nothing. Uh, did did not take uh, anything. He's refusing to show his hands in in the very beginning. Then he's he he's pulled out of a very cramped vehicle, but yet he says he's claustrophobic and won't go into the back of a squad car. Thomas Lane is saying, you know, he'll roll the window down. Um, but again, just you know, sort of this he he's not complying. He's lying. Uh, you know, we we point that out also with his mom recently dying. He says uh, she passed away two years earlier. Um, but also he he himself asks to be laid on the ground and you have Thomas Lane um, calling for an ambulance 36 seconds after that happens. Uh, we, we are not allowed to, to hear about the, you know, that part of part of this. Um, you also have a very problematic EMS response that the public is not allowed um, to see and in fact does not even is not even allowed in, in trial. Uh, either you have the officers, as you, as you said, talk about this MRT, but yet we're told the day after the incident that whatever they're doing, the, these cops are doing at 38th and Chicago in Minneapolis, it's not a part of police training. It's nothing uh, that the police chief and the mayor had have ever seen before. Uh, then why did the MRT, the maximal restraint technique, the two pages in the manual go offline the very next day? Wow. Uh, mysteriously sort of disappear. And the officers are, in fact, discussing on camera uh, the MRT. And they also uh, admit to that in the in the interviews that that follow. But all of this stuff um, really seems to be hidden from the public. And I would argue, and I think that, you know, the, the documentary makes the point of that, that there was a reason uh, that it was all withheld and sort of manipulated uh, behind the scenes. And the police chief was up on the stand under oath and he denied that there was ever any such technique in the manual. And you had uh, yeah, you a have, gentleman. Um, oh, yeah, ahead, you have a the... police chief, Madera Arredondo is his name. Uh, he has since since retired, uh, but he'd been a longtime uh, officer in, in Minneapolis. And, and you're right, he's under oath. He says that this is not a part of, of training. You have Inspector Katie Blackwell. 
uh, who is kind of the head of training, she testifies to that as well, that she doesn't recognize this. It's not a part of training. We found police manuals uh, with this very uh, maneuver, the maximal restraint technique, dating back to 1993, um, that we can find the, the, the MRT. And many uh, police departments uh, still to this day uh, have this in, in their manuals as well. And so basically he was lying on, on the stand under oath that, that the police did indeed were trained this way. And uh, well, so, well, certainly that, yeah, that seemed to be the message that was sent to, to the officers. They speak about this in the, um, in the documentary itself, just speaking about how can they, how can they just go up there and lie? You know, they're, they're under oath and, you know, they saw, they sort of saw this manipulation themselves. These are in I Minneapolis, protected and served for decades. And I think Minneapolis, they had a good rapport with the police prior to this. There hadn't been a lot of incidences that caused any rift and conflict with the uh, the citizens. Yeah, I think over the years, you know, as any metropolitan area, especially in a very blue uh, city, you yeah. know, it, it seems to definitely be be different uh, as as you know, Minneapolis, it's it's well documented, has gone uh, farther and farther left. I mean, that's you have self-proclaimed socialists that are now sitting on the the city council in in Minneapolis. Uh, but no, I mean, for the most part, I mean, again, things would uh, pop up here and there. But um, you know, for what was made out of this, you know, speaking to the just the race part of this, you know, you have the mayor of Minneapolis uh, the next day apologizing to Black America, basically in in tears, mm -hmm. but. Um, I'm saying, you know, at the time, well, why, why then did a black officer arrest George Floyd? This seems to be kind of counter to the narrative that they're trying to push, but it seemed nobody wanted to push back on uh, any of this. And also nothing in Derek Chauvin's background that has ever pointed to any, anything that's, you know, mm -hmm. racist. In fact, uh, for most of his career, he was partnered uh, as he was with Tu Tao uh, among American, but he was partnered with minority officers, um, including Alex King. He was the field training officer for him for for um, many months. So again, so much was made of this. And and I really do believe, uh, Hal, to this day, that if they would have told the truth, the very next day, they had the body camera footage, they had George Floyd's autopsy within 12 hours of, of his death. We just simply wouldn't be here having this, this conversation. Uh, but instead, they hid it all. What's interesting is that you interviewed the officer that had arrested Floyd a year prior. And it was a similar situation he had some drugs or something in his mouth that he swallowed. He was high, but obviously it did. It just ended. It ended in an arrest, and and I don't know. And of course, you point out that his my, his record is about a mile long. His police record, and it was interesting. You, we thought that this poor guy was coming back from a Bible study. That's the the media narrative. They said very little of nothing about his background, including. I sometimes hear two different stories. But did he stick a gun in the stomach of a, of a pregnant woman? while during a home invasion? Well, we know that uh, the, the documents itself say the, the abdomen uh, of a woman. Um, so either way, uh, he, he was responsible for a, a home invasion and, and was convicted of, of doing just that, holding a, holding a gun uh, to this woman's abdomen. But you're, you're right. Most of his adult life, he spent uh, in and out of prison. And also uh, one of the, you know, the, the biggest lies of all also is that Minneapolis police, again, their chief says that they've never heard of George Floyd. They've never had um, mm. anything to do with this guy. But in 2019, 
he is arrested in an undercover drug investigation uh, they knew about for months as they were you know, tracking this and decided to arrest him during a buy that had taken place. Um, so we have the officer who uh, arrested him in 2019. And if you play the body camera footage uh, from that incident in 2019 uh, next to what transpired in 2020, they're almost identical uh, in everything that George Floyd is saying. He's clearly someone that has had a lot of uh, run-ins uh, with the law. Apologize, and Peva, give me a break here. Hang on a second. Oh, apologize. I haven't. Uh, we have a delivery man, and the dog got a little out of hand here. Sorry. Oh, I don't no have problem. a nice studio. I wish I had, so I wouldn't have these distractions. But um, you interviewed um, the mother. Uh, Derek Chauvin's mother. And uh, how was she holding out, especially in the wake of the stabbing of Derek? And it's interesting when I, I watched the, the documentary, and I think it had been out about a week. When did it actually, when was it released? Uh, November 16th was the release date. What day? I'm sorry. Uh, November 16th. And it, it seemed like a few days later, I hear that he stabbed 22 times. I don't know how he survived that. That's incredible that he survived. How is he doing? Do you know anything about his health today? You know, we don't hear much. Yeah, it was uh, pretty horrific, obviously, to hear the news. Uh, this is the first time, I think, on a, a grand scale anyway, the, the FBI involvement uh, is raised in you know a public manner anyway. But the FBI is obviously called into this case within just a few hours. Uh, and then it's nine days after releasing the documentary, he stabbed 22 times uh, in prison um, by a former FBI informant mm -hmm. who has just a few years left on his prison sentence, I should mention, uh, who had been you know, behind bars for, for decades and was obviously willing to risk this. So there's many, many questions that remain. But uh, we do know that he's been able to call his family just a couple of times uh, since then. He's been moved back to the medium security facility uh, where he was before after spending time in the hospital. Um, I know that he'd been using a walker for a while. Uh, they're not sure if, you know, he'll he'll be moved or, or whatnot now. But really, you know, I think that is this really what people want their justice system to look like? It's really quite, uh, quite frightening. And um, during the trial, there was all types of first off, you, in the documentary, you mentioned that the day of the, the, the jury verdict, that's when the city decided to give the family uh, a settlement before the the verdict was even uh, no no doubt that had some some sway but i would think these poor juries members of the jury they were probably petrified to deliver anything but a guilty verdict no that was um yeah you're right that was during jury selection um actually when that 27 million dollars is awarded uh, to george floyd's family and the city council member uh, coincidentally, uh, who helped to arrange that that deal as any city council member is basically tasked with arranging a, a settlement and whatnot. Well, that's uh, Jeremiah Ellison in this case, who is the son of the attorney general in Minnesota, mm -hmm. Keith Ellison, uh, who was basically heading up the prosecution against these officers. So uh, there's many connections here. And I, you know, I always say that we really had the perfect people in the perfect positions uh, in Minnesota for this for this to play out. And I think that, you know, the, the documentary details that the book, uh, they're lying, uh, details that even, even a bit more. And, um, I know that people like Maxine Waters, was she, did she come in person 
demanding a jury, a, a, a guilty verdict. And even Joe Biden weighed in on it as if he had anything to, you know, he all the celebrities were weighing in on it. They wanted a, a guilty verdict no matter what. But one of the most interesting things is that um, beyond the, the arresting officer was black. And that's the first time I've heard that. And I've asked a lot of people since I saw the documentary. Uh, I've asked, I don't know, several dozen people I, that I've spoken. I said, did you hear that? And nobody heard that the arresting officer. We knew that there was an Asian man. We knew that. But and they allegedly just stood by and watched uh, Chauvin choke this guy to death. That was that's the narrative that we got. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and Alex King's story is a, is a remarkable story in and of itself. This is a North Minneapolis kid who dreamed of being a, a police officer. His mom's a longtime teacher in the public school system in Minneapolis. Um, she'd adopted several children in Minneapolis as well. Um, and, you know, it is his third day on the job um, off of field training, and he's now serving a three and a half year prison sentence for aiding mm -hmm. and abetting murder. Uh, and he talks about that. I think he he is so well-spoken. He's just a remarkable young man to actually, uh, he doesn't even sound bitter after all of this. He's very candid in the fact that he doesn't blame uh, Derek Chauvin. He says that Chauvin uh, always followed his training and that's what, um, you know, he believed they were, they were doing that day. Of course, they're not out there murdering uh, a man in the middle of the street and all standing by as that's happening. Uh, you know, even Thomas Lane admits in his, um, his interviews that uh, they thought George Floyd, because it's not uncommon for this to happen, they thought George Floyd was passing out uh, at the time because obviously he he seemed to be on something. Um, and they thought the ambulance would be there within just a couple minutes. In fact, they are downgrading their use of force, essentially, according to their mm -hmm. MRT uh, training. They're not hobbling George Floyd. Um, they're, they're looking for the device at first and then they decide not to. And then you have two Tau calling again for the ambulance, uh, on scene, you know, where are they kind of thing. Um, and then it turns out that, you know, the ambulance is there within nine minutes, but usually it's the, the fire rig, um, that, that would have the medical response because they're just a couple blocks away. But instead that, that response takes 20 minutes, uh, because they're dispatched to the wrong location. So uh, again, so many things that the public just, you know, was not told. and that was just a, a happenstance that wasn't any deliberate thing that the the ambulance showed up at the uh, showed up too late had it showed up earlier george we wouldn't be talking this that he probably would have been rushed to the hospital and he would have survived and it wouldn't be be left would have had to find another uh issue somewhere in another state well actually the the thing about it is is that the medical evidence really seems to show and this is many people that have weighed in at this point many medical professionals i always say you know i'm not a journalist or i am a journalist not an mm -hmm. attorney you know not a police officer mm -hmm. um, but i've certainly hundreds of people at this medical professionals really describe uh, sadly george floyd as, as a ticking time bomb a lot of people are pegging this on a drug overdose because sure he had three times the lethal amount of fentanyl in his system and methamphetamine but he had a bad heart uh that can't be understated here 75 percent blockage in one artery alone yes. uh, but i also think that something that got no attention was this pelvic tumor uh that george floyd had and this is being used in an appeal now uh currently uh, that that Derek Chauvin is, is using, but he had this uh, pelvic tumor, and there all of these things are happening. He's recently recovered from from COVID, um, et cetera. All of these things are happening, and who knows? Uh, we obviously have the benefit of the doubt, you know, benefit now of knowing, um, you know, that that he, you know, was obviously in 
passing out and whatnot, but the, the officers didn't recognize that because they'd had these interactions before where suspects who won't comply will finally just, you know, kind of give up, if you will, or or pass out. And um, it's not uncommon then for them to come right back and keep fighting some more. That's, you have mm -hmm. George Floyd kicking them. And um, again, he's a large guy and had been refusing to comply. So it, it it's easy to, you know, sort of Monday morning quarterback uh, all of this. But right. but again, to try to, you know, peg intent, which is what murder, you know, should be. This is why someone should be in prison for, for murder. It just didn't seem like it was, you know, there. But there's a little... Um uncertainty about the autopsies the first autopsy that was the official one and they determined that it was a drug overdose that killed him and then the family had their own autopsy then they had a different conclusion and which one was yeah, used have, um... so the one that was used in the court was the family's autopsy well, you actually have uh, Dr. Baker take take the stand in Derek, Derek Chauvin's trial, um, but just the timeline. So again, 12 hours later, the, the autopsy is complete by Dr. Baker. However, the public doesn't know about it until the day they release it on the day where this independent autopsy is released. Uh, and that is by George Floyd's family hires a couple of medical um, examiners to do their own autopsy. But to this day, Dr. Baker is the only person that was ever in possession of George Floyd's body to conduct an actual official autopsy. But in Dr. Baker's own words, uh, he does say that if uh, George Floyd was found anywhere else, this would be a, a drug overdose. And he also says, which is just some recent documentation that came to light, that, you know, what happens if the, the evidence doesn't, um, you know, doesn't basically back uh, the, the public narrative, as it seems to you know, not be the case, he says this is the kind of case that ends careers. So in many mm. ways, uh, Dr. Baker is admitting to this pressure uh, that his office faced in, in the wake of all of that. And I should also say that people can see this documentation uh, for themselves. We've put it all up on the fall of Minneapolis.com. We have a huge uh, research archive there, public documentation. Uh, people can look at all of this uh, for themselves. Um, now, in the wake, uh, one of the uh, persons you interviewed was a lady officer, and she was in tears. I think that she, I think she's since retired, but she showed what happened to that police station, how basically it was given to the mob. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, that's the first time I've ever heard in the history of the United States that a police station was actually handed over to the mob. Yeah, that was another reason we wanted to do this documentary, too. Um, I felt like nobody from the media seemed to care about the, you know, police officers and their their side of uh, things that how this this event really transpired, because, again, you had the media selling it as this moving, uh, peaceful protest that that happened mm -hmm. and how great it all was. Um, but but you're right. Yeah, you have a. Uh, Lieutenant Lindsay Heron is her name. She has since uh, retired from the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, she's a lieutenant uh, inside the third precinct, doesn't even know of the plan to surrender the, the building. Mm -hmm. um, but earlier in the day, they're told to collect sort of all their personal belongings, evidence connected to cases and such. And a city bus comes to pull up and collect all of that. And then that bus is supposed to return for them later in the night. Uh, because they're being told that they're going to eventually have to give up the, the building. Nobody thinks this is a good idea, uh, but obviously they have a chain of command they, they have to follow. But then in, in this case, they're basically stuck inside once the, the go-ahead is given to, to evacuate. Uh, they have to ram the fence uh, with, with a squad to even get out. And then you have these wow. officers basically 
running for their lives um, for about a half mile. And then that bus is late to even pick them up uh, where they're supposed to be meeting. So it's really just quite uh, disgusting. And especially when I think when you see inside the third precinct the next day, uh, what it looked like, uh, the place is just ransacked and sits sits that way to this day, uh, three years later. It's all boarded up right now. What is the situation today in the city of Minneapolis? I know that I know you did have graphs. You show the crime has like tripled and quadrupled since yep. uh, this incident. Yeah, you know, there's a reason we we called it uh, the fall of of Minneapolis hell because it really it really was. Um, it's funny how you know the, these politicians try to uh, paint this this rosy picture, but it's just not backed up by. By fact, here you have crimes that never happened in in Minneapolis before, uh, happening in in the hundreds uh, each and every year, if not thousands. Like carjackings, for example, never even were kept. They never even tracked them in Minneapolis before because mm. they just never happened. Um, and you know now you have six hundred happening a year, seven hundred. You have twenty one wow. cars stolen every day in in Minneapolis. Something that never happened before. But you have a police force that that went from nearly 900 uh, police officers at the beginning of, of May of 2020 to, to barely 500 now. Jeez. And I should say that I think you have about 100, if not more, uh, police officers that are eligible for retirement uh, this next year. So I think things will only get worse in, in Minneapolis. Certainly, certainly not any better. Are you are you living in Minneapolis or do you live outside the city? I, I'm in the the land of sanity uh, in in the suburbs, but close okay. enough. <laughs> yeah, when I used to travel to Minneapolis, I was so surprised the real estate was exp as expensive as it was in Boston uh, back in I guess 2005 and six when I was going out there uh, several times a year. And uh, in spite of the bad weather, they still it was a very vibrant city. And uh, today, that's not the case. Has the, has the real estate market plunged a bit uh, in the city? I would imagine it would. You know, um, yeah, certainly the the records show how many people have fled from both um, Hennepin County and Ramsey County. Um, those are the the counties that that contain Minneapolis and, and St. Paul because tax taxpayers are wondering what the heck am I getting for my for my tax mm -hmm. dollars. I myself lived in Minneapolis for nearly a dozen years, had a house there, um, and this was thankfully before um, all of this and. And it really was a lovely, a lovely city. But now you have uh, people who are the victims of crime, uh, sometimes not only waiting uh, hours for a response, but days uh, when it comes to when it comes to things. Um, so I don't necessarily see light at the end of the tunnel uh, anytime soon. What has been the response of the documentary uh, around the country? Yeah, I think, um, you know, since putting it out a, a month ago, it's uh, I think we're closing in on six million views, um, which is pretty amazing, considering we're just a, a kind of a little nonprofit here in, in Minneapolis uh, with Alpha News that decided to, to put this thing together. Um, we just put up a story today. Uh, the attorney general, Keith Ellison, responded to the film saying he hadn't seen it, uh, but he said it's not factual and it's uh, partisan propaganda. Uh, those are the those are the words we live in a sad, sad day, sadly, um, when people consider facts, uh, partisan propaganda. Um, <laughs> but I guess I didn't expect uh, didn't expect much uh, as far as uh, the attorney general's response. But no mainstream media has has covered um, the uh, documentary at all. It's uh, I've done dozens of, of interviews, but it's really been, you know, conservative media or independent right. uh media um which also i think points to the, you know the real problem that we're in yeah the gutfield show had talked about it 
on, yep. on Fox News and uh, Newsmax and a lot of radio shows and so forth. But and Keith Ellison is uh, pretty much of a radical left winger. I mean, he's been that way. It was he was a member of Congress, if my memory serves me correct, and then ran for attorney general. So he's basically using that way to help you know, do what he's doing. He's a he's a far leftist and he uh, no doubt hates the police and has a racist uh, bone to pick with people as well. So. Yeah, there's a lot in his background. I mean, before he even was a, a politician, uh, the guy was an attorney who represented gang members. This is what, mm -hmm. you know, and, and spoke very openly of his his hatred of the police. In fact, represented a, a man who was involved in the execution of a Minneapolis police officer, Jerry Hoff, uh, years ago. Uh, he represented uh, someone connected wow. to, to that case. But we go into a lot of that in the, the documentary as well. Do you think that uh, this will this documentary will help um, exonerate these police officers? You know, um, it's going to kind of take I, I, I hope so. Obviously, it's going to take uh, more than <laughs> this documentary. Uh, we need the attorneys to kind of, um, you know, kind of find a path forward here, because sadly, you did have the U.S. Supreme Court rule just a few days after we put out the documentary mm -hmm. um, that they were not going to take the appeal of, of Derek Chauvin. But that was really focused on the change of venue situation. Uh, there is another appeal about George Floyd's, uh, you know, tumor and tumor, the other yeah. medical yeah, issues. Um, but but the other officers, too, I know that their attorneys are working on on something based on some things uh, in in the documentary as well. So I think, you know, more to come for sure. Uh, I, I want to encourage all my listeners and the viewers to uh, go to the website and it's the fall of Minneapolis.com and uh, yep, donate right, Minneapolis.com. Donate. It's a, it's a free download or free. You can watch it for free, but please share the word, uh, share it with your contacts and even make a donation. So more people can see this uh, documentary. And also how can we get a copy of your book? Yeah, there's a there's a link on that website uh, to Hal. Thanks for asking. Um, and again, it's they're lying. The media, the left, and the death of George Floyd. But it's not available on Amazon. You can also order DVDs. Some people like DVDs. I'm trying to give the movie for yeah. free, but some people still want a DVD. Like <laughs> you yep. can uh, order that on, on the website, and you can see all the research for yourself, and also a lot of the uh, the news news clips and the reviews of the documentary are there too. Okay, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Um, we are running out of time. So, uh, Liz, thank you so much. God bless you. Merry Christmas to you and Happy New Year to you and yours. And we will do what we can on our end to get the word out and get many more people viewing this. God bless you, Hal. Thank God you so much. You. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.